Welcome to Sold, guys. Um, so Sold is really, I, I wasn't going to start Sold in Los Angeles. And the reason I started it, it's running in New York, it's running in Brooklyn, just opening in Toronto now, which is really exciting. And um, girls I knew through, through trips that I've run and different things begged, begged me to start Sold here, just so there's just so few women, female, kind of feminine places to go to like kind of schmooze about girls stuff as well as I don't know it's just got a different vibe and there's not a lot of female teachers other than Dahlia yeah. right and uh but she's really it's rare it's rare apparently in LA there's a lot of great rallies but not a lot of women yeah. so I said okay like once a month we'll get together we found a month was a bit long so it was maybe doing every three weeks and we just get together Sunday have some wine some sushi it's chill it's not like a, a weeknight program you know it feels different it's um and then I'm also open to any topics you guys want to talk about. But everyone wanted dating at some point. Like everyone wanted dating. So, um, so, I just, so it's interesting because I, I just want to read this thing that I, I got sent today. Um, where was it? Why did I send it? I sent it to here. There was a uh, rabbi in, in Israel that had a, a daughter who was battling leukemia. And he, he wrote this. He said, we learned many lessons this past year while our daughter battled leukemia. Rav Salman Vyshetsky writes, we learned these lessons while enrolled in an accelerated and painful courses such as how to be happy in an oncology department, how to preserve your marriage when your child has a life-threatening illness, how to relate to your other children when one of them is desperately ill. But the most meaningful course was how to live with uncertainty. It's impossible to plan anything. For example, in the morning, our daughter would feel well, and two hours later, she'd feel sick. In the afternoon, she was at home, and in the evening, she was in the hospital. For how long? No one knew. We are so used to planning out everything exactly as we want to do it, and exactly as you know, we, we, we think it should go. But suddenly, everything is uncertain. And then you understand that this is precisely the lesson to be learned, to accept uncertainty with a calm smile. After fearing the unexpected, you learn to embrace it. You learn to like, let go, to be thankful for what you have and to wholeheartedly put your time and your money and your destiny into the hands of higher power, into something else, a bigger plan going on. The daughter of Rav Vizetsky recovered, thank God. And this week, he wanted to send a message to everyone in the world. He said, amidst the enormous chaos of the coronavirus, there is one thing that is very clear. Everything is uncertain. That's, we're literally sitting where we have no... I have no idea if I can go to New York for Pesach. We booked all the flights and everything. I've, we just cancelled Brazil. I had 700 people coming to Brazil. 700 for Olami, under Olami's banner. Right? Daniel was coming as a leader. Lauren was coming as a leader. And they have whole groups they're running. We cancelled. Boom. In one go. We lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. Uncertain. Right? Many people have been let go of from their jobs. Those who made reservations to observe Pesach in a hotel in Italy are beginning to clean the house. Those who are about to get married don't even know who'll make it to their chuppah, right? To say nothing of the fear of us being infected. All of us are presently learning a course in how to live with uncertainty. It's literally the whole world has been thrown into this, this course, this boot camp of like living with uncertainty. It's so interesting that that's the lesson going on. He said, from my experience, to succeed in this course, you need to open your heart to embrace the unexpected. To find, especially in uncertainty, a new kind of certainty that comes with reliance on God. 
something higher, divine, divine providence, a power, higher power, no matter what. And I felt this was very apt with finding your soulmate. Because finding your soulmate is totally fraught with uncertainty. It's the same lesson. What do I do when I'm uncertain? I don't know the end. I don't know how it's going to go. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure. How long do I have to wait? What, what do I do? Like, it's the same. I just see this lesson coming up over and over again. Even couples who can't have children. Uncertain. Do you see there's a pattern here that we're all being thrust into this pattern and now for some reason, God feels that you all need to like seriously practice this now on a mass scale, bless you. Right? So just with that as an opening and a backdrop, I felt that it might be, it, it was just useful to, to, to kind of, while we're going into, okay, so how do I find my soulmate? Let me plan, let me organize myself, let me... We don't really, at the end of the day, we don't know. And we have to sit with the not knowing. We have to sit with the, I'm not sure. Um, so before I start and launch in, I, don't, I always like it better interactive. Hi, how are you? I like it. It's be- always better interactively. So, and also there's a lot of new people here today. So we just quickly go around, say your name and say like, is there one specific thing that you're interested in around this topic specifically? You don't have to have one. You can just say, I'm just interested in the topic. But just if, you, if there is something, just so I can just hear what's in the room, it's always good just so we can maybe steer a conversation towards that. Or so you're going to start name. Hi, my name is Rebecca. Um, one specific, not really, just wanted to Just learn. curious? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, my name is Osher. Um, I don't have anything specific that I okay. want to learn. I just was interested. Okay. Awesome. Hi, I'm Liana. Um, very interested in this topic because I'm sure everybody here is. Yeah. Um, one thing, I mean, just on the topic of uncertainty, and for me, the, the one thing that you should always be certain to, certain of is is your faith in Emunah and God, and sort of that being kind of what makes everything okay. Certain. Right, that's exactly, exactly what the Roth is saying. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that just in relationship to dating and being okay with when things don't work out with a certain person, being mm. certain that it wasn't supposed to. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I'm Chantal. Um, I'm just excited to be here. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. All the, you're your old first time, right? Yeah. Okay, welcome. Yeah. I'm Alex. I kind of asked for this topic, but <laughs> <laughs> not a specific. Just, I just want to hear what people have to say. Uh-huh. I'm Belle, and I also have a lot of interest in this topic. <laughs> Um, I guess for me, um, I'm interested to know your perspective on soulmates and kind of just things that I already know, but just having to hear it again of like, okay, mm-hmm. this is why things work out the way that they do and it's all for a higher purpose and a greater reason. So just to hear my perspective on that. Mm-hmm. Hi, my name's Danielle. Um, I just want to learn about this Ourselves internally mm-hmm. so that we can better be able to receive that person. Mm, nice. 
Great, it's my first section. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm Liron. Um, just, yeah, everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> All the above, yeah. Okay, you're all like, give it to me now. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Welcome back. Um, okay, so I'm going to give you the, not my thoughts, I'm giving you the Jewish perspective on this topic, right? Jewish sourced in Talmud, Jewish wisdom, whatever you want to call it. And it's also what I've lived and learned through my own experience. So I really know it, some of it, you know, like internally. Um, a Jew has the choice to live either in the natural or the supernatural. Right? So we can choose to live in the world and just kind of be subject to the way the world works, like the normal laws of the world. And, okay, you have to put in cause and effect. You have to put in this much effort. You have to, you know, do this. You have to... And that can be the end of the story. It's our choice. We have a choice to do that. Or we can live in the supernatural, which is the potential of every Jew, which means you live in the world, but not of the world. Right? You're in the world, but you're not, you're not at the mercy of the world. You don't live only within the world's um, operating system, if you ever saw The Matrix. Right? We literally are The Matrix. The Matrix is true. Right? That movie. Go watch The Matrix from a Torah point of view. You're like mind blown. Right? So... Um, where do we see sources of this in the Torah? Anyone know, by the way? Matrix source? Right. Where we, I'll give you a hint, which you'll probably know if I give you the hint, which is where Avraham was told that he's, Mazal exists, but you're not bound by Mazal. Astrology. All right? It says Avraham was shown, taken out, to show, Shem showed in the stars and said, look at the constellations, like for the stars. You realize astrology is sourced in Torah, right? So, so the, look at the stars. There are constellations. What are constellations? A certain mazal comes down for you as a set of coordinates where who you are, where you're born, what year you're born, all the coordinates that you did not choose, who your parents are, what generation you're born into, right? What ethnicity you are, all those things. We don't choose any of it. There's a certain mazal, including the month you're born and the day you're born, all the sorts of things align, right? To give you a certain... And also then your parents and grandparents and all of that, comes. you come down into this planet with... A certain mazal, you're not bound by it. God says, look, you're not bound by it. And he said, says to Abraham, I'm going to take you up above the stars so you can look down on the stars. And it says that God took Abraham up, so to speak, to look down on the stars rather than being under the stars looking up at the stars. So rather than stars govern you, you can go above the stars. You're not governed by it, right? Which is really cool. Mm -hmm. so, um, so astrology we take with a grain of salt. Like it, it kind of exists as a, as a holding pattern, but you don't have to be bound by it. So anyone who thinks, oh, I'm never going to get married, it's not in my stars, it's not in my mazel, what? no, it's none of that's true, right? Um, but that's really important that we, excuse me, that we're not bound by trends, we're not bound by society. I don't know if you know in the Jewish world, the observant world, there's this thing called the shidduch crisis. Have you heard of this? The shidduch crisis where people aren't getting married and women are getting married much, much later. And it's like, whatever, it's just the drama, like the coronavirus hysteria. <laughs> There's also the hysteria around getting married. Whatever, it's just human nature to be fear-driven. And I think that that's the biggest enemy to a single person, is the fear, right? Is the fear of what if. And you know that you've got into fear if you start saying what if. What if, what if, what if? And then the fear can overtake you and then it can lead you off into a whole different world that's got nothing to do with reality, basically. Right? That's, that's the nature of fear in general. It's just that when it comes to things you really want, it gets heightened because you're most scared not to get those things, whatever it is, right? But getting married is for sure one of them for many people. So 
We're in the world, but we're not bound by it. And we can work as God's, the Torah says, we can work, a Jew can work in partnership um, with the supernatural, so to speak, in order to, um, I don't like this word, like I really hate this word, but it's talked about a lot, so you'll probably know what I mean, about manifesting your reality. Yeah. Manifest, I'm right? really thinking manifest in my head. Were you? <laughs> to manifest your reality. So why do I have a problem with manifesting? Because we don't manifest. We're not God. We're not, we're not going poof, I'm manifesting. It kind of implies that like I'm manifesting my life. That's not true. The Torah says that we are partners in creation of our lives, for sure. We actually have our intention matters, our thoughts matter, our everything matters, right? All of that matters, but God creates the outcome. God always creates the outcome, and we can't create the outcome no matter how much we want. I can create the exact same recipe. I'm just using a simple example. Exact same recipe with the exact same ingredients and do exactly the same thing, and on Shabbat it turns out absolute perfection, and during the week it's like, eh, it's okay. But I did exactly the same thing with the same ingredients, right? Why? Because I don't, we're not in control of the outcome. We're only in control of our effort and what we put in, right? So once you start operating with that paradigm, and this is hard because if you don't have a relationship with God or you don't know you believe, if you believe in God, so that's, that's the place to start. You have to start. Oh my gosh, the whole of Judaism is talking always about God. This higher power, this higher, there's something higher going on that I'm not aware of. But it's talking nonstop about it, so I better explore it deeply. I better take it seriously and start exploring it and then develop my own relationship with that. Wherever you're at, doesn't matter. Just start where you're at and start exploring it more deeply because there is nothing more powerful and nothing more impactful on your life than, than if you believe there is a higher power running the world and running your personal life versus or not. If you opt out and say, I, I don't know, I don't think so, no, that's fine. You get free choice to do that. But then you're left to the mercy in the way of, the, of just like the natural world, which is fine. A lot of people live like that, right? So one of the questions, um, one of the questions I loved, I, they asked my rabbi, I was in the class when someone asked my rabbi this in Israel, was so if you believe in there's a higher power, how much effort do you put in? Because surely if God's running the world, especially around soulmates, why do I have to do anything? You hear the question? If especially it's destiny and it's fate and all this stuff, especially we'll go into a little bit of that in a minute. But like especially, especially, what do I, why do I have to do anything? And how, if so, how much do I have to do? So it says very clearly in duties of the heart, we are not meant to be passive at all. We're meant to be active and partners. And that's the part of the manifesting, right? Where we're meant to be partners in putting in our effort, making sure that we're available to receive the blessing that Hashem wants us to receive or God wants us to receive. That God wants to give blessing down to you. It's, it's not a, it's no withholding and being mean and whatever, right? But sometimes we're not ready for it. Sometimes we're not open for that blessing. Sometimes we don't know how to receive and we're not. There's other things blocking the blessing coming down spiritually. So the question is, how do I clear that, right? So I'm going to go into that in a minute. But essentially, um, I get to choose whether I live as a partner with Hashem or not. And so when someone asked this question, how much effort do you put in? This Rabbi Rabbi Kellerman said, you put in as much effort as any good atheist would. We're like, what? Because you put in as much effort as any good atheist would. Meaning there's no changing what you're doing. You still have to work. Like if you're going for a job interview, you still have to go for interviews. You still have to submit your resumes. You still have to do all the normal things in the natural world. You're not exempt. It's not, we don't believe like, I believe like God's going to save me. I don't have to go to doctors. No, 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 no. We believe going to doctors, following the ways of the world, but you're not bound by the ways of the world. Do you hear the difference? You're living with one foot in one world and one foot in another world. Okay. It says about Shidduchim, about Shidduchim means 
couples, right? Like finding your match, finding your soulmate. In the Torah, it says that God directly deals with it himself. There's no intermediary angel, right? There's, not, there's no intermediary. It's direct. It says it's like the splitting of the sea. The, le- the level of the effort that goes into finding two people, bringing them, bringing them together. Your soulmate is announced. Do you know this? Within 40 days, there's a bus call that comes down from heaven. It says a bus call means a voice that comes from heaven that announces this, this, this uh, soulmate for this one is this one, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, so it's like your, your soulmate is kind of chosen for you, it says in the Torah. 40 days after you're born. Mm-hmm. However... I will say that there's many, there's a number of different soulmates you can have throughout your life. Because you can say, what happens if I miss? What happens if they choose someone else, right? Everyone has free will. So what happens? So I think, I'm not sure of the number in the Kabbalah. It's all, this is all Kabbalah. So we don't exactly know how it works. It's not so clear in our world down here physically how it works. But there's something like seven or eight opportunities throughout your life based on where you're at that you could choose to marry. Um, someone. But someone in that, at that period of time for you, Right? So I don't know how that works. I think that you must be able part of the same soul group or something like that, right? You know, soulmate is two parts of the same soul, but it's also, you could be part, I don't know how it works. We don't know once it gets into the soul realm. I don't know how it works. A Kabbalist probably does, like a real Kabbalist. But essentially we know that there's not, it's not like one, you get one chance and you blow it. Like we don't know that. And also, um, because you can't know in advance who it is, it doesn't really help us to think that way. Does that make sense? You just have to look at me, who I am now and what's in front of me. And even the guy you're dating in front of me, who is this guy? And is this someone I could live with? Is this someone I could, I'll go into like how we, how we, what we're looking for and how we make those decisions in the practical. But essentially, it, it, it's nice to know all this stuff, but it doesn't really help us practically. Does that make sense? Because it's all very Kabbalistic and we don't know how it operates. But I just want to share that with you just as a backdrop because it's important. Um, okay. A lot of the time when you don't know the answer to something, we're talking about uncertainty, the test is really trust. The, the spiritual test for you, because every time you're going through a process of difficulty, challenge, want something and can't get it yet, right? And you think you're ready and, you, and it's not coming. So what, what's the test? Clearly, it's trusting the process, trusting. You have to trust that, that you're in a process, you're going somewhere, for some reason it's not the right time, right? And the, the, the test is trust of any uncertainty. Like I said before, if you don't get a job or you don't have a job or you, you want to have children and you can't have, cho- like can't have children yet or you want to get married and you can't get married yet, whatever it is, the uncertainty brings about this sense of either I feel fear or I feel trust. That's it, right, basically, right? And we go through these like oscillations of these two, two views. I remember once when I was single and I was significantly older and this Robertson of um, Shari Yashav in Far Rockaway, Five Towns, comes up to me and she was like, she just grabbed my hand and she said, don't buy into the fear. She said, this has got nothing to do with trends and the crisis that's going on with dating. She said, this is just between you and God. It's only between you and God. What, someone, what happens to someone else doesn't reflect on you at all. Right? Because the feeling is when my friend gets engaged and my other friend gets, I had all my students getting engaged to marry. I was dancing at all my students' weddings. I'm like, what? Hashem, you, you left me out. You forgot me. You know? She said, don't compare. Don't compare yourself. Your situation, your mazal, even though we're not bound by it, is not affected, influenced, or, or changed by anyone else. So you never have to feel negative, less than, or small just because someone else has it's their time to get married. Does that make sense? It's so hard to do because we're always comparing ourselves subconsciously. Oh, look at their life. Look at my life. Like we think we should all be having somehow the same life. Have you noticed this subconsciously? 
We all think we should be having the same life. Oh, they got this job, or they got married, or they, oh, I should be getting married. Why aren't this? Whatever age it is you have in your head, you think that's the plan. It's literally crazy because every single person starts at a different place, is meant to end at a different place, has a completely different journey. And the very thing you need to develop your greatness is not what the next person needs, right? At all. So it's this whole comparing thing is a Yetzahara, right? A Yetzahara. You know what the Yetzahara is? The Yetzahara is that negative voice inside of ourselves that's there to sabotage our growth. Right? And you have to be able to discern the difference between that Yetzirah voice and the Yetzirah voice, the good voice that wants to build you and the bad voice that wants to destroy you and hold you back and is fear-mongering and anxious-provoking anxious and it will just stop you. And the way you can tell the difference between those two voices, as we talked about here in the past many times, is where will this take me if I listen to this voice? If I listen to this voice, whatever voice is telling you in your head, where will it take me? Will it take me to be hopeful, inspired, take action, grow? Or will it make me feel smaller, feel terrible about myself, feel negative, resentful? Why me? Poor me. I give up. <laughs> Which is where that voice takes you, right? That Yetzirah voice makes you feel like lonely, isolated, I'm pathetic. There's not, no one's going to love me. They've got everything. You know, is this just me? Is this just in my head or is this in your... You're relating to what I'm saying? Yeah. Right, so the vo- and the voices are very similar, even though you have to know your voice, your Yetzirah voice, but the voices generally have the same themes. You're not good enough. No one's going to love you. You're never going to find someone. Whatever it is, right? Okay. So in order to... Um, is this making sense? Do you have any questions, comments? Pro- I don't want to just talk at you. If, if questions pop in your head or comments, please jump in. You know, I like this to be interactive if possible. Okay. So in order to... Um, with that as a backdrop, with the, we can live in the supernatural. We have to work as partners with a higher power. We are not bound by the natural laws and we have to, um, we have to go forward and seeing, seeing it as a, an opportunity for greatness, an opportunity as, as a test in a way to build, to build ourselves. It's always, a te- it's, by the way, it's always a journey to build yourselves. Hi, how are you? Welcome back. Um, it's always a journey to build yourselves, right? No matter what it is. Any struggle is always a, building, is always a journey to build yourself. I don't know if you know this, right? According, in fact, to the struggle, the Gomorrah says, is the reward. So the harder it is for you, the more reward you get. No matter what, this is across the board with all spiritual tests, right? So, so this is usually a really hard test for many people. Many, many people, right? Because there's a lot of emotions tied into it. But this goes across the board with family struggles and whatever struggles you're going through. According to the struggle is the reward. And the struggle that you're having is the struggle that Hashem wants you to focus on right now for you. And to look at, okay, what, am, what, does, what does God want me to get out of this? What, what, is, the, what is the higher purpose here? What, how can I grow from this? Right, they're the questions to ask yourself in that moment. So there's two areas I thought would be useful to talk about. One is internal work that we mentioned before. Yeah. And the other was, is externally. So internally, is, is what am I doing in, uh, inside myself to ready myself to be open to be in the right place? And externally is more, what's the practical um, efforts that I can put in? And what do I look for even? How do I know I'm looking for the right person and what that is? And, yeah. and how do I let go of this Hollywood facade that we're in? Like total Hollywood illusion just not, doesn't exist. Does not exist, right? Doesn't mean it doesn't feel good and you don't feel loving and you're kind of not excited and there's no chemistry. Doesn't mean any of that. All of that should be there, but it's not Hollywood, right? We've been so brainwashed. It's interesting how we're willing to be brainwashed with that. But yeah, but now other Judaism and other things, we think, oh my gosh, we're being brainwashed. Oh, I can't. But we're brainwashed, so brainwashed in so many other ways. 
Okay, internally, um, I'm just trying to make it really simple. I was thinking this morning, okay, what are the most important things internally to focus on? That, that I can, everyone's unique, so I can, it's hard to give a kind of a class to everyone about the same thing when you could all be in different places. So if we're working one-on-one, it might be very different if I was doing coaching with you or something. But, what, but generally, there are three things everyone needs to work on. One is prayer. Why not? Because he's the source of everything. God's the source of everything. If you're not asking for anything, so it's a bit silly. It's like saying, I'm not going to ask the CEO for a raise. Why? Like, you know. So one is prayer. I'll go into that in a bit more. The second is trust, like we talked about. And trust and prayer are totally different. And the third is looking at, am I blocked or do I have fears that are blocking me? Is there anything blocking me or stopping me from getting married, right? Or is there anything I need to strengthen in myself before I'm ready to get married? Or any clarity I need to get? Right? Or do I have a lack of clarity? Like there's, there's areas within ourselves we need to work on. With those three things, um, they're the most important. The, one of the questions that I love is, are you the type of woman that the man of your dreams would want to marry? Are you the type of person that the man of your dreams would want to be with? And if not, so what would you need to develop? Or what would you need to work on? It was a very powerful question. Someone, a Robertson said that to me many, many years ago. And I was like, wow. Like, am I there? I'm so focused on this guy, whoever he is, right? Am I really there? The man of my dreams or the person of my dreams I, I think I want to be with, am I the kind of person that that person would want to marry? Right? So, okay. Um, prayer. I taught, I taught a whole class of prayer at Power Up the other, other week. And we talked about either the, the word for prayer in Hebrew is tefillah, right? Tefillah is the word for prayer. If we look into the root of the word prayer, whenever we want to understand the concept deeply in, in Judaism, we look into the roots of the word, what they actually mean. And also we looked at the time it's first mentioned in the Torah. Here we're just going to look in the roots right now. So I don't want to, it's not a whole class on prayer. But tefillah comes from the word patil, tefillah, patil, right? The, the same, pay and fe are the same. Patil means string. And a string's function is to do what? What does a string generally do? Connect. Connects two things together, right? Connect, a string connects. So the whole point of tefillah is it's meant to connect me. And it's also, if we look at also the root of tefillah reworded re, re the other way, it's also um, hit palel, palel, right? Hit palel means self-evaluate. So the whole point of prayer is to connect me and for me to have some self-reflection and self-evaluation. Why am I asking for what I'm asking for? Where's it coming from? What's my intention? Why do I really want that? Right? It's a self-evaluative process. How do I connect to what I'm asking for even? Am I just doing it like rote? Or am I just am I connected? Like what, where am I? Where am I in this? Right? When we get to observe our own prayers, even in our own words, I, I can assess where am I at. What's, let me evaluate where I'm coming from. And through that process of evaluation... What, and asking yourself the questions, why do I want that? Well, for, really for what reason? And being really honest with ourselves, we end up shifting, you know, and, and tweaking and shifting and growing through that self-evaluation. So, um, so the whole idea of prayer is that it's acknowledging that I am not the source of everything happening in my life. There's a higher source. And when you do that, you create yourself to be more humble and vulnerable. When I think I'm all that and I'm full of myself, we've talked about this before, there's no room. When I pray and say, I need you, I need help, I can't make this happen, it's very humbling. 
It makes you feel small and vulnerable in a good way, not in a bad way. Small doesn't mean low self-esteem. It means just feeling humility. Your smallness in relative to the size of the world and what's going on around you and God, the higher power, that we're not in control, all these things. And when you're in that place, ironically, you create yourself to be a different vessel. And then when you turn yourself into a different vessel, you're able to receive the blessing that Hashem wants to give you. If I'm so full of myself and I think I'm going to make it happen, there's no room. There's no room to, to receive, right? There's no room to receive. Oh, there, I mean, there's some, always some room, but like, the, you know, you can, yeah. Um, I, I agree, but I just, to like play the advocate, the other side, yeah. if you, in a way, if you're just praying, let's say you pray for something you want, well, it makes you think that because you prayed for it, you got it, and you have the power to do it because you, you, you're kind of like, want to be God by praying as like, no. So just keep like, like if you're demanding it. Like if you pray for something. Yeah. She's asking like, what makes you think you can get that? Like, what makes you pray for? Yeah. Anything or this? No, anything. You can't. But this we know. Hashem wants us to get married because it's part of the process of growth. Generally, sharing your life with someone else is is part of the system that Hashem created to for us to achieve our potential. So we should assume that in general, Hashem wants us to get married. In fact, Reverend Heller once said to me, any woman who ever wanted to get married, she saw got married, and the women who didn't, didn't make it a priority. That was, like, in a way, it was their choice. So it's, it's a mitzvah for a man to get married, do you know this? And it's not a mitzvah the same way for a woman to get married. A woman has a natural yearning for it. So a woman can achieve her potential outside of marriage, ironically. Wow. Whereas a man cannot, it says, in the same way. <laughs> Now, I'm not going to go into all the exceptions because there are definitely unique exceptions of individuals where, you know, there's, there's always an aberration of a theme and exceptions to a theme. But the main theme, the main thrust of development of your greatness and potential for a woman, we want to be married. And I believe you do. I, I believe that it, it's hard to develop yourself to be the same level of giver outside the marriage. You have to go and search for it to do it, but you can do it. Uh, but for a man, it's nearly, it's, it, he says, it's, nearly, it's, it's a mitzvah to get married because a man's nature is not to want to get married. So they're commanded to do something that's against their nature and we're not commanded to do something because it's within our nature. Mm. So it's not about that you shouldn't get married, but it's like you can, women, and I see this across the board, women will develop themselves and refine and grow and deepen single and men typically go down in their growth. Like so then you have, meaning they don't develop as well outside of the marriage. I'm talking over time, like into their 30s, into their mid-30s, into their late, right? So when, I, when you have girls, now I, I'm trying to set people up who are older and I have high quality, highly developed, emotionally in tune, self-aware, incredible women dating these guys who are, <laughs> it's just like, it's a problematic. It's a really problematic. So I'm like, go for a divorce guy. What is wrong with you? Because everyone's like, no, I don't want a divorce guy. You're crazy. They've, they've at least been through a relationship. They've grown through the heartache. If they've grown their stars, Right? Okay, you have to work out if there's real issues and it's harder to work out and you have to see if they do, do they really grow or are they justifying, you know, she's crazy, I'm not, you know. But, um, <laughs> but essentially, yeah, I, I, I would always go out with like, in, like, I preferred to go out with divorced guys. People were like, firstly, that's weird. And then the, <laughs> the, the rabbis would say to me, You're actually, that's actually smart. I said, yeah, the single guys never been married in their late 30s, 40s were problematic. They don't know how to give of themselves. So, um, okay. So the answer to your question is you can't assume. You can't assume just because I pray I get. 
Because the answer to every prayer is yes, no, or not yet. In this area, we can assume Hashem wants to give it to us because that's the way that you develop yourself, right? And it's in the system, so to speak. Um, okay. Is this making sense? Okay, second one is bitachon, which is trust. Uh, there's a very deep, deep idea that... Um, Whatever you choose to put your trust in, Hashem will let you be at the mercy of. So if you put your trust in, uh, in Google or Apple, because you work for them and you think they're the, like almighty, you know, they're going to save me, they're going to give me my career, they're going to give me my money, they're going to give me everything. God will leave, leave you at the mercy of, in a way, Apple or Google, right? He lets us choose who do we want to make our God? Who do we want to serve? And this, this happens for anyone who's not even religious or not even spiritual. You're always serving something, whether you're aware of it or not. That's going, tying into Pesach, Passover themes right now, right? Your freedom is a freedom, of, freedom from being a slave. So we know that the typical classical story was being a slave in Egypt. But what we know today, how it applies to us spiritually, that every holiday has a spiritual power in it. So the power of today is what am I, what am I being a slave to? Now, for sure, for, for us, it's our phones and our technology. They, they, have, they literally have ownership over us. What am I being a slave to and how do I break free of that? What am I in service to? So whatever you put yourself in service to, Hashem allows you to be at the mercy of. <coughs> That's number one, like principle number one. Meaning, he'll leave, if some drama happens at Apple and politics happens, you'll be caught up in that. Like you won't have a special mazal or schut, like merit to protect you which you might have had had you not believed that they were so powerful. We give our power away to so many things. We give our power to so many things, whether it's money, corporations, society, coronavirus, whatever it is. Like seriously, 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 we're giving this mass hysteria to corona. I'm not saying you shouldn't wash your hands. I got everyone to wash their hands when they came in here. You should take precaution. You're not, it's not about being silly, but it, 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 corona has no, no power. It's God. God is doing this. There's no question, right? So, so when you give that power to, to something else, you're kind of caught up in the system of it, in a way. Like you're left at the mercy of it, of whatever happens. If not, you're outside the system, like the matrix. You're living partly in the supernatural. You're really left in the mercy of God. So what's an example of that? And, and here's a deeper idea that's even more freaky. To the degree that I put my trust in God, higher power, to that degree, God wants to be there for you, even if you're not righteous and you don't merit it. So it's the one glitch in the matrix. Do you ever see the movie? It's the glitch that doesn't fit with the system. Because in the system, we have cause and effect. I do X and Y happens, right? And, and, and Hashem allows us to operate in that system. He created the universe, created the natural law, the natural world, right, of the universe, of nature, gravity, darkness, light, right? There's a certain thing that we are living within. But if I put my trust in, in something higher, to the degree that I rely on Hashem, and you can't fake it. This is not a fake it till you make it thing. You can't fake trust. It's in your heart. It's a choice. To the degree that I choose to put my trust in a higher, higher power, knowing that's really where the power comes from, to that degree, God will want to come through for us. And it says you don't even need to be righteous to merit what, you, what he comes through for. So what do I mean by that? Come and touch with anyone? <laughs> Cookies are always good. Um, 
the metaphor that's beautiful that everyone relates to is a ba- nursing baby. A nursing baby, if you look at them in mean, the mother, what happens? The blood turns to milk. It's miraculous. If you, you know about this, right? The blood literally changes into milk on its own. We don't have anything to do with it. It just happens. And the... Huh? What do you mean? The mother in the mother. The mother's blood turns to milk. It's miraculous. Absolutely miraculous. And I just learned this. I'm going to give this a power up. Actually, if I'm going to give it a power up, I won't tell you this week. But I'm going to give it this week. We're doing kosher, but it's a different thing. But um, the word for breasts is the same word for perfection. So it's not like men made this up, by the way. But And this word for breasts is shadayim. Right? Shadayim, breasts. But that's also the same name as God, which is uh, Shaddai, right? Is the name for God. They, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov used to call God's name El Shaddai, right? Well, El Shakai we say, so we don't say the Dalit, but El Shaddai. And, and what does that mean? Shaddai means that it's enough, absolute perfection of what's needed. And what do we see with the breasts and the nursing and the milk is the mother creates exactly perfectly enough milk for exactly what the baby needs to the level that it needs, including changes the formula for what the baby needs. The milk is changes formula based on what the baby needs. It's absolute perfection. It's unbelievable. It's miraculous. So that it's named after also God's name, which is perfection, that God made a perfect world that's exactly enough for what we need. It's a, it's a wild thought, right? What happens when a baby suckles? A baby suckles the milk and the mother keeps producing the milk and keeps giving the baby what it needs because the baby's relying on the mother. The more the baby nurses and draws down, right? I, I, I need you, I need you, I need you. The more the mother creates the milk, creates the milk. You liking my effects? <laughs> <laughs> Alex is like, pretty good. Right? The more the baby, the more the baby, right? The more the baby creates the milk. Because the mother has to be there for the baby. So the, it'll draw from the mother and the mother will keep producing and creating whatever. Because the, the mother needs to be there for the baby. So this is the same thing by us. The more we rely on Hashem, I need you, I need you. You're the only one I need. It's only you. The more it draws down the bracha. It draws down the blessing, literally. So it's not a punishment that if I don't rely on Hashem, Hashem says, okay, I'm leaving you at the mercy of whatever you believe in. It's not a punishment like I don't love you. It's the way the whole system works. Does this make sense? Like, if I don't rely on Hashem, so I'm not drawing down anything spiritually. I'm not in that supernatural, natural zone. Hashem's just said that, that by definition, you've stepped out of the system. It's your choice. You're just left to the natural, whatever's going on. Does this make sense? Yeah. So, Shaduchim and soulmates are like literally supernatural. It's a supernatural thing. You're wanting some random guy you don't know to like show up in your life magically. <laughs> That's really what we want, right? It's a supernatural phenomenon. I think it's crazy if people aren't operating in that zone, right? If they, don't, if they don't know about it. I mean, if they don't know about it, they don't know about it. So then Hashem's not going to judge them negatively for that. But if you know about it, wouldn't you want to operate within that world, like within that zone? So prayer and trust. Trust is a choice, right? There's a whole, all sorts of ways you can work on trust. We've talked about some of them, which is not for now because we don't have time. But that's a really important, those two things to explore. Every time I went to a big rabbi, every single time, Kabbalist, you name it, whatever, they always say prayer and trust. I'd be like, oh, okay, I know that. Like, like, what else? You know, <laughs> like prayer and trust. I'm like, okay. So, okay. So, number three, blocks and fears. Uh, this comes back down to the type, are you the type of woman that your man of your dreams would want to marry? 
that's number one. Like, what do you need to develop in yourself? Is there something you feel you're lacking that that kind of man that you look up to and you admire and is amazing would want to marry and just in your mind? And number two is asking, being ruthlessly honest with yourself, really, really honest, without judgment. So be curious, not judgmental. It's very important. But asking yourself, really, 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 am I, am I scared to get married? What am I scared of with marriage? Maybe you didn't see such a great marriage. So these things go in very deep subconsciously. You shouldn't assume there's something wrong with you. I just want to make a disclaimer. It's my pet peeve to make singles feel like there's something intrinsically wrong with them and that's why they're not getting married. It's absolute baloney. You think there's, there's plenty of completely messed up dysfunctional people in marriage. <laughs> plenty. Plenty of completely pathologically not okay people who are married, right? And probably not happily. But they got married. So you can't say that that's not getting you married. Throw it out the window, it's crazy. There's a timing for everything. You're meant to develop something. You're meant to maybe work through whatever it is you're meant to work through. Right? But it's not because you have something wrong with you or something broken. I can't stand this whole thing that's put on singles. It's, it's really crazy. It even made me, and I'm confident, and I've worked so much on myself, it made me at times to date, like, doubt myself. You know, but I knew, I knew not, but like, I was like, well, maybe, because it feeds into the fears, right? I was just so mad like, when, when my actual story unfolded, and I had the best guy ever. And like, he's so, you know, everyone's like, you gotta settle, you gotta, like, no, no. You know, you're too picky. Well, you should be picky because you only want to marry one person, right? It's not about, you have to be, it has to be within reason. So you have to, you have to look through like what is really important for marriage. So you have to know that, we'll go through that. But, um, but you have to look through what am I block? What could I be blocked, blocking anything? Could I be, could I be scared in any way, right? Sometimes a block can be a refusal to accept as well. I just refuse to accept where I'm at. I refuse that it's okay. It's not okay. Something's not okay. Whatever God's doing, not okay, right? That could also be a type of block. What, 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 um, what clears out my blocks is when I'm accepting. Accepting doesn't mean you're happy with how things are and you don't want things to change. It just means right now I accept that this is where I need to be. And now that I'm accepting where I need to be, what do I need to work on to grow to the next step, right? It doesn't mean I give up on marriage ever. You never give up. You're never meant to give up ever, right? You're always meant to have hope. But it's about, um, there's a balance between accepting where I'm at. I'm exactly where I need to be for me right now. And in the morning when we say a blessing, we say, right? We, that we thank Hashem that God gives me everything I need. It's one of the blessings. Mm-hmm. So when you're saying that, it's, the idea is if I, if I need it, I have it. And if I don't have it today, it's because today I don't need it. Mm-hmm. And that strengthens your trust. So whenever it says, I want to work on my trust in God, I say, great. In the morning, say this one blessing. It's one line, right? If you're not saying morning blessings as, as it is, so say this one blessing. And every time you think of that blessing and you're saying it, you say, if I have it, it's because I need it. If I don't have it, it's because I don't need it today. And that kind of strengthens in your heart. It's like, it's like, it's okay. Right? It's like a little muscle. Every day you're strengthening it like weights. Right? It's okay. I'm accepting. I'm, accept- I'm accepting God's will. It says when you do God's will or accept God's will as if it's your will, even when you don't want it, he'll accept your will as if it's his will. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Mita, connected Mita. We talked about this idea. Mita, connected Mita. The English term is karma, which is not, which they, they describe it like a spiritual boomerang. When I give out, I get back. Karma. But that's from a Jewish point of view. The poor God gets the, 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 the bad end of the stick again. They cut God out of the picture. It's not really what you give out, you get back. It's how I, how I treat the world and look at the world and look at others. God looks at me through that and treats me the same way. Right? So if I do God's will as if it's my will, he'll do my will as if it's his will. 
Right? It's like a, that's like the mirror that we create. And that's the part of manifesting. Who talked about manifesting? That's the, also the part of manifesting is that if I relate to the world in a certain way, I will create a vessel for, for it to be able to receive it back. But it's always back through God. It's not just like a boomerang. All right? God's overseeing everything. The Jew, Jewish point of view is that God is overseeing everything. Okay, was there a question? Yeah. What if you do recognize that you're not the person that you would want to attract? I mean, I always, like, I'd heard that, right? Yeah. So you have to be who you want to attract. And so how do you, like, where, how do you balance the fact that we're hopefully always improving, right? And then not shutting yourself off with this idea of perfecting who you want to become before you attract the person. you never perfect. It's a lifelong process. When you get married, you're not perfect either, right? It's just the starting. It's just like the starting of level two on the game. I feel like I passed level one of like, if you survive being alone, now I'll deal with level two and like all the issues that come with that, right? Like you just move into that next level. You, 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 never, you never perfect yourself, but it could be that you have to work on, you just keep working on what you're working on and let God work, worry about the timing, number one. All right, that's number one for sure. Like you can't ever know in advance where you need to get up to to be in the place where you'll meet the guy or the person, right? You don't know. That's it's God's business. We don't know the fu- we can't tell the future. You just have to stay working on yourself. And the second thing, which is a little bit humbling, is that maybe I need to adjust my expectations. You know, I, I've seen the most average guys wanting supermodels. Honestly, honestly, in the w- Jewish world, average Joe Schmoes, nice guys, but average. It's like out of their league. It's like literally out of their league. They want some superstar and supermodel, drop-dead gorgeous, skinny and successful, and da, da 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 and they're not. So like, are you the kind of guy that a supermodel superstar would want to marry? No, but they're not able to check with themselves on that. They're not able to check in and reality check. You have to know yourself, but not in a judgmental way, but just like, I have to be real with who I am. If I'm not real, and this is, by the way, this is one of the biggest problems in this society is we're, people are really self-deceptive, right? This whole, like, you could be anything you want to be. You're all amazing. You get certificates of appreciation and certificates of participation because you're awesome just for participating. No. No, that means you might, if you didn't do well, it's not that you should feel awesome just for participating. It could be that God wants you to learn this is not the area you should go in. This is not the direction that you're meant to go in. You're meant to go in this direction. But if you just get everyone's cheering everyone about everything and there's no discernment, like you're you know, good at this and bad, it's everyone's so scared to say that I'm not good at something or I'm, this is not for me, right? Or this is who I really am. We're so scared of that that then you miss out on being able to discern A, which direction I should go in in my life for myself and my life purpose, and B, maybe who I should marry and what's compatible for me. I, don't, I have to get to know yourself. It's not meant to be that everyone can do everything. In fact, the opposite, you're here to do something very specific. So in the life purpose classes, we talk about this idea that it's not about I can put my mind to anything and I can do anything I want. No, I'm telling you right now, I could never be a basketball player. I'm terrible with high hand, high hand eye ball coordination. I could never be an artist. I'm terrible at art and never ever was good at it since I was little. But I always tried and I had fun. I liked it, but I was never good at it. Really good at dance, really good at music, really good at speaking. So I ended up doing performance, which is now what I do with all the speaking stuff and the gig. The whole thing came together perfectly, like a plan. I mean, it was like a plan looking back. But I just explored what am I good at, what am I not good at, right? And you have to know yourself. You have to know you. Not just in hobbies and skills, but your personality. You have to know who you are. You have to know, you know, you have to know yourself. 
So that comes down to, you know, I wasn't going to marry this big, huge Rosh Hashiva in, you know, I don't know. Like, I just know myself. I'm a Balas Shiva. I came through. I probably wouldn't be attracted to that. I couldn't live that life. That life wasn't going to be compatible for me. I needed a cool guy who's like, like I don't know. Like, we grew up similar, right? We, we grew up similar and we... We both like, like listening to secular music and we're both really committed to Torah and like it was a perfect blender. They both two worlds, right? But people were trying to set me up with these big Rosh Hashivas and these big, you know what Rosh Hashiva is? Head rabbi? Like a head rabbi of these, you know, grew up religious and very, very, like it was a very nice compliment that some people wanted to set me up because you're a big Rebetzin, you should be with this big rabbi, right? Now, it happens to be my husband is a rabbi and we both worked in Jewish outreach for many years, but it's a different vibe, right? I couldn't have lived in that Israel Rebbe life. Just couldn't have done it. It would have been suffocating to me. Does that mean I'm bad and not as good? I should, I should have wanted to be a rabbi? No. Hashem put me in this life. I grew up in Sydney, Australia, jumping around with the kangaroos. I was secular <laughs> till I was 30. I didn't, I, I just, I wasn't meant to be in that life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is there an answer to knowing if someone is your soulmate, do you know what I mean? It's really the Torah answer for that. If someone is your soulmate. Yeah. How, how do you, do you know, know they're your soulmate? How do you know? Um, there isn't a Torah answer, but my experience is it feels like home. Okay. There's no, you don't need to do anything. You just can be your full self completely. And it feels like, you know the feeling when you walk in, if you have a nice home and you get in, you're like, and you could just be yourself and like just plop down on the couch. You're just like, like there's nowhere to run to it's like a relief like that feels like that but with a person it's really nice but I don't think everyone gets to feel that before marriage necessarily like in the dating process because then there's always that tension of like you're still dating and you're not you know what I'm saying I think we had it just because we were so much older and we'd gone through so much stuff and we had no neither of us were getting married to anyone unless it was amazing and like we went I was I was already saying like I would much rather be alone than be married to some Meshuggah like in fact you know who told me that Revson Young Rice who's no longer alive I walked with her once she did a lot of she's a holocaust survivor she was powerhouse teacher like she in her 80s um, and I walked with her once from the house to shul and I you know people said to meet her for, for dating and dating advice she's wrote books on dating really good books actually and she wrote a fantastic book called Life is a Test if you ever want to like if you're interested in this kind of perspective she wrote a great book if you're ever going through challenges Life is a Test and, um, and she also wrote The Committed Life about marriage. Like she's written a lot of good books I think you'd all relate to a lot. It's not too religious-y, um, and, but it's all Jewish wisdom. So Did she- you say it was by? Uh, Jung Rice, J-U-N-G-R-E-I-S, Esther Jung Rice. Yeah, she's great. So she, she said to me, I said, you know, everyone's telling me to settle. Everyone's telling me to settle. You gotta, you know, you gotta, you know, just gotta, just get married already, right? A lot of people were telling me that. And, she said, honey, you're better off being alone than married to a Meshuggah. Yeah. A Meshuggah is a crazy person, like someone who's a bit crazy, like whatever. Just like better, like better off you're alone. I was like, thank you so much, right? You, there's no rush to be because you're desperate. You're not desperate. You're not desperate. When you're desperate, you make wrong decisions and then you get trapped into something you shouldn't have been in, right? Don't, you're not desperate. You're beautiful and you should be sought after and you're all that and you're worthy and right you don't need to be rushing after someone else desperately and it's also not attractive anyway right they can feel it subconsciously yeah um my boyfriend asked me he was like is it bad that we never fight and i said no what do you think 
Because, I mean, we do struggle with certain things, but we never... So you have to ask yourself honestly, you don't have to answer here, but you have to ask yourself really honestly, and he has to ask himself really honestly, is the reason you don't fight because there's part of yourselves you're not bringing into the relationship? Is, there, is the reason you don't fight because both of you are so committed to keeping the peace and not rocking the boat and like avoid conflict in general in your personalities that you don't want to bring it up because it might cause conflict and you don't want to do that? Because if that's the case, then over time, then it's not ideal. Meaning then there's parts of yourself you're living out. And if someone, if someone is a people pleaser or they're scared of conflict, they'll typically just shut up and, like not, and deal with it themselves and not bring it up. But eventually over time, that's bad. It, it's, it creates a negative rebound and it doesn't, it's not good for the relationship because there's always a part that both of you are leaving out or one person's leaving out and then it builds up and up. And that means that person isn't fully in the relationship. There's part of themselves they always have to leave out because I can't bring that in because if, what if he doesn't feel the same way and then... <laughs> And then, you know, I'm scared of conflict rather than let's work, let's learn together how to work through our differences and how to communicate those in a respectful, loving way. And like, and that's part of yourself, not yourself, but whoever's like that would, would need to develop to become your greater self. So it can be like kind of peaceful, peaceful if for, for a while, but then if you're moving to the next level of development, it's about playing with like, oh, I know I really want to do X and I'm sort of saying, yeah, it's fine. And then choosing to bring in more of your authentic self. And then, that, that's, and then the more of your full self you can bring in, the more you feel that connection in a deeper way. And so it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. As long as there's respect. For a woman, the most important thing is respect, by far, for a woman. That, that she respects the man through the tough times. That's, that's what will get you through. There's a respect there. Um, I want to just go into external. Ex- what is the time? I have no idea. This, I can't 5.45. S- what? 5.45. Oh, 5.45. Wow. Okay. External work. So that was all on the internal. External is the idea that we put in a certain amount of effort and Hashem creates the outcome, as we said. So what is that external amount of effort? Right? External amount of effort means call people who might know people. Go to events if you want to meet someone. Right? Actually, go to the right... Well, go to the events that you think the kind of guy that you'd want to meet would be at. Right? A club probably won't have the kind of guy that you think you want to marry in, the, in it. Right? So... so Stay away from sleazy, clubby things. Like as one more time, I, told you. <laughs> I said, go to events where the guy of your dreams, the type of guy you would respect and look up to and admire would be at, right? You might need to join a book club. You might need to go to a Jewish event, right? Somewhere. Not a club. Not a club. Go to Shabbat meals. Shabbat meals are great. Mixed Shabbat meals for meeting people, ideally, right? Um, but go to places you think that kind of guy would be, the quality of person that you would want to meet would be. Um, if you're in the Jewish world, you would call shatchans and put in a certain amount of calls per month. I'd say like a couple of months. doesn't have to be crazy. Don't go crazy. Do the amount of effort that any good atheist would do. <laughs> right? Meaning if you don't believe in God, how much effort would you do? Right? Um, okay. What to look for. My rabbi said to me, it always stuck with me, if you find a guy with these four things, you should marry them. I was like, really? That's it? Four things? Four things? Good midot. Midot means character traits. He's a mensch, meaning he's, he's polite. He's got manners. He's civil. He's courteous. How do you tell someone has got good midot? You see how they're treating people they don't want to impress. Over time, over time, they will reveal to you, don't date them like I dated just a few months and get married. Date them for longer, right? If, over time, you'll see. They'll drop the guard down and they'll, you'll see how they treat people. The waitress, traffic, people they don't really want to impress. If you're there long enough, they'll drop the card. You'll see how they impress them, right? I had a friend once whose husband was so rude to 
so rude to service people like that and we were all so nervous and we warned her and she's like wouldn't listen because he was so nice and charming to her and uh, he blew up the florist because he got the wrong flowers and like on the phone and she thought it was cute and we were like this is really bad anyway I'm not nearly to say they got divorced he was abusive okay um Bentora. Bentora here means if you're aligned in the Jewish world that you have, he has his central value is a Torah, Torah values, Jewish values. If you're not in the Torah Jewish world, then you just have, make sure you have the same values, similar core values, right? Core values are what you believe in and not just what you believe in, but you really tell someone's value system by what they sacrifice their time for. So you can watch what they sacrifice their time for. So if someone says, I really believe in developing myself. And they have a class they go to once a week or twice a week. And it doesn't matter that they've got to work full time in another job, but no matter what, they'll get to that class twice a week. Nothing will come into contact with that class or, or interrupt that class unless it's like an emergency. But if you see someone at the drop of a hat when something better comes on, they're willing to just drop that class to go and do it. So you see, they don't really value it. It's whatever you sacrifice your time. I'll go to a class as long as nothing better going on, right? But if so, as soon as like there's a, a, a sports game or something, so really they value sports. Some people value adventure, the best next thrill, whatever the next exciting thing is. I'm dropping whatever I'm doing to do the thing, next thrill, right? So you watch what someone sacrifices their time for the most, right? If they're living for their job and their career and nothing outside of that, so that's, their, that's what they're serving. It's part of being what they're being of service to, right? So make sure that you have the same core values. Communicate easily. Do you get each other with the way you communicate? Are you on the same page? In, um, or there are a series of like misunderstandings. Oh, that's what you meant? Oh, I thought you meant this. Oh, you meant that? And like you just don't get each other so well and it takes too much time to like kind of get on the same page. That's another sign. There's a certain flow and a vibe of how you communicate that's important, right? Because you're going to do a lot of hopefully communicating in marriage. It's important you get each other with that. And the last one is you have to be attracted. You have to, there has to be chemistry. It does not mean, oh my gosh, I shivered when he looked at me. Like, it doesn't mean all of that, right? The honeymoon, the Hollywood illusion. But it has to mean you, you like him, you're attracted to his personality. Women particularly get attracted through the personality. So you, you can meet a guy and think he's okay. And then the more you get to know him, you think, whoa, he's cute. And the more you get to know him, you think, whoa, he's hot. Like, it, it goes for women often through the emotional connection. So with a woman, often my rabbis and mentors would say, um, I'm like not so attracted to him. They say go out six times, and uh, if nothing, if nothing else is a problem, no, if nothing else is a problem, everything else looks good on paper. You know, like yours and you're aligned. There's no other glaring issues. You're not repulsed by him. If you're repulsed, forget it, right? But if you're not, if it's neither way, like it's neutral, and you everything else is good, keep going out and talking and talking. See if you can be real. He can be real because the more you create an authentic connection, the more that will should grow. So after each day, he'd say one to ten, how much, how attracted are you? And immediately I'd say like five. And then it'd be like six, it'd be like eight. Like it would go up as I would go on if it was, if it was a guy that I was, you know, attracted, if it was, it was a good guy. So women particularly, that's important. A man is not so much the case. Man more physically needs to be attracted straight away or at least drawn in some way. Um, those four things are the most important. Everything else is pretty much flexible. Like a lot of people won't date someone based on where they're currently living. That's, that's ridiculous. Because maybe he's the love of your life. You just happen to be in different cities. And, you know, in five years, you'll end up in a different city anyway. Like it doesn't, you know, we don't know where the journey is going to take us. So for like what type of job they're doing, where they're currently living, other minor details. To, to rule out someone and say, I won't date that person because of that is, is limiting yourself. Right. It's limited. And, and there's a lot of other, you know, other minor details. I think people get very hung up on. That's where you can be picky. 
you can be too picky based on I'm not going to date someone based on these other sort of minor details. The most important question though is are you growing in the same direction? Are you going in the same direction? So I'll give an example. When I was teaching at Neve in Israel, um, I had students who were becoming more inspired and growing towards Judaism and they would meet a guy in Israel's culture, like secular society, who grew up observant and was going off. And they would meet here and they'd be kind of around the same level. This one's going more towards Judaism and this one's going away from Judaism. But they felt so connected because they were kind of on the same level at that time, but they're going in completely different directions. It would have been a disaster. I saw that a lot. So are you going in the same direction? You don't have to be in exactly the same place, but are you headed and do you want the same kind of life? I think that's really important. And if you're not sure yet in yourself, so that's important. That could be one of the reasons why you're not meeting your guy yet. Because you need to get clear on where you're at with your own growth and journey. Like, and the key thing with the Jewish thing is the basic bottom line for creating a Jewish life that you need to get clear on whether you want to do it or not is kosher, Shabbat, and mikvah, like family purity laws. Because if one person wants to do that and the other one doesn't, it's really hard. It's really difficult. Right? You have to both be aligned on whether you both want. If one, even the guy, if the guy wants and you don't want, it's a problem. Right, because that's where you come together. Shabbat every week, kosher is the whole kitchen and the cooking and the whole thing, right? And family purity is the intimacy. I mean, you have to be aligned on that. So those are the things. So when you're growing and you're learning and you're not sure yet, don't push yourself to get married. Go and really delve in deep, educate yourself, see what you feel about it, see how you think about it, and then make decision from there. You know, it's interesting. I asked a lot of students of mine who were growing and learning. I'd say, would you? And they're not shomer Shabbat at all. And I'd say. Would you date a guy who was Shomer Shabbat? And they're like, oh yeah, for sure. I'm like, really? I said, that's, that's, a, that's like, wow, because that means you're willing to go into a life to keep Shabbat, right? But they weren't aware of that themselves until they thought about whether they're willing to date someone like that. I was like, this is serious. You've got to work this out. Because a Shomer Shabbat guy wouldn't want to date someone who's not Shomer Shabbat. So the fact that you're open to that suggests something that you're open to wanting to be that yourself. Because mm-hmm. she never met the guy. I mean, this happened with a lot of my students, but... But when you're in a process of growth like this with your own growth and development, God might be holding the guy back because you're not, you're not cooked yet. You're not ready yet. You're not at a place where that you've jumped out and like you're plateaued in a certain foundation of where you're at. You're always growing. That's right. There's, no, there's, no, there's never a perfection before you meet someone. But there's a certain foundation that you have to be clear on. And I think these are, these are kind of the important things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that helpful? Yeah. yeah? Thank you so much. Is that helpful? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, amazing.